This episode of Arizona Spotlight is supported by the City of Bisbee. For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, learn about the early history of the Rito Racetrack from Daily Star columnist David Layton. Meet a young composer from neighboring Sonora who has her sights set on writing scores for top Hollywood movies. A Tucson native shares memories of being a teenager in the 1970s. And take a peep at the Tucson Erotica Art Show. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. It's David Layton's job to explore Tucson history, unearthing the facts behind local legends for his monthly Street Smarts column in the Arizona Daily Star. On Monday, Layton will write about the history of rancher J. Rukin Jelks and the founding of the Rito Racetrack. So Rukin Jelks was born in Arkansas in 1899. He grew up on a farm near the town. His father was a southern gentleman farmer who grew cotton but his real passion was botany. Now, Jelks himself also had a passion, but that passion was animal husbandry, particularly horses. Now, after high school, he joined the military at the very tail end of World War I, and uh, after a short time there, came back to Arkansas, uh, where he attended the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, Arkansas. But shortly after his return, he came down with tuberculosis. Yeah, a lot of times when we look into state history, we find that some very significant people ended up relocating to the desert uh, just for that purpose, to recover from tuberculosis. But it doesn't seem like having his illness uh, slowed him down, quite literally. Yeah, after he arrived at the University of Arizona, um, he actually competed in track and field, uh, the 100-yard, 220, and 440-yard dashes. Well, then in 1925, you write about a historic bridge party that occurred. Who was there and why was that an important moment in this story? Mrs. Melville Haskell, uh, the wife of Melville Haskell, uh, threw a bridge party at the Tucson Gulf and Country Club located on Broadway Boulevard in Country Club Road. Now, at that event, um, the family first met and they would go on to have a lifelong uh, friendship and uh, partnership for many years to come. So back in the 1920s, you really didn't have much in the way of like organized horse racing in the Tucson area. I mean, what you'd have is the traditional match races where one person with a horse uh, would brag to another person with a horse and say, my horse is faster than yours. And sometimes they would lay down a wager of money or, you know, sometimes they would actually wager the horse themselves. Well, it seems like some of the desire on Jelks' part to begin to do a little bit more with amateur and then later professional horse racing might have come from a young man who just knocked on his door one day. So there was a young lad, probably about 15 years old. Uh, His name was Frank Figueroa. His family lived in the general area of the Rincon Valley. Uh, By this point, Jelks and Haskell both owned ranches uh, in the Rincon Valley. 
And what Jelks decided to do with this young guy, he was a very small guy, weighed very little, like 65 pounds. Jelks was very knowledgeable in horses, and Figueroa was very young and wanted to learn. And they kind of raised horses together. At first, it was thoroughbreds. And then as time passed, uh, quarter horses kind of came into the picture. When they were starting to do this racing, where was the first track? Jelks himself built a racetrack on the Rincon Creek close to his property. But as the creek got filled up with water uh, during the flood period, it kind of destroyed the track. And so he ended up building another track closer to his ranch home. Uh, As the years passed, I think it was around 1937, uh, a guy by the name of Bob Locke decided to uh, have horse races at his horse farm that was called the Multaqua Horse Farm. It was located on Indian School Road, which is now called Ajo Way. After about six months, Jelks, Haskell, and Locke um, decided they were going to put on some formal horse racing. And what they did is they got permission to run races at the uh, rodeo grounds on South 6th Avenue. And they raced there for a couple months, spent quite a bit of money, uh, brought in you know top-notch horses from around the country, mostly from the Southwest, Texas, California, New Mexico, Colorado. Unfortunately, they basically lost their shirts. In 1940, Bob Locke decided to purchase some land along Sabino Canyon Road and the Tanka Verde River and decided he wanted to run some amateur races again. Uh, Originally, there were amateur races, no betting and stuff like that. And so he uh, built another racetrack called the Multaqua Track there, raced for a couple seasons, uh, did pretty well. Now, in 1940, Jelks had also purchased a new piece of property. Uh, This was on River Road, uh, just east of First Avenue. And he had built his own little training track where he trained his own horses, and he was breeding horses there as well. So they decided temporarily to move the horse racing operations over to uh, what became the Rito Racetrack on River Road. When they first opened up, they actually built what they call a straightaway or a chute. That chute is where a lot of the rules and regulations for modern-day or organized quarter horse racing were developed. So by the end of the 1940s, would you say that Rito was getting national and even international attention? All the top horses in the Southwest would come to Rito to race in the uh, the World Champion Speed Trials held there. Uh, But it grew and grew and grew quite a bit at the uh, end of the 1940s. David Layton's history of the Rito racetrack will be published in the Street Smarts column that's available in the Monday, April 4th edition of the Arizona Daily Star. Right now, a 16-year-old from Sonora, Mexico, is writing music that's being played by orchestras around the world. She's studying to become the next big name in film composing. From the Fronteras desk in Hermosillo, reporter Kendall Blust of KJZZ brings us the story about composer Sol Silvina. Musicians in Sonora are familiar with a saying that calls their state where art ends and carne asada begins. But a rising star from Hermosillo is changing that narrative. Last summer, the symphonic orchestra in the central Mexican state of Puebla played the world premiere of Sol Silvina's seven-part suite, My World. 
The 16-year-old from Hermosillo is just getting her start in the world of composing, but believes you'll be hearing a lot more of her music, and soon. My main goal is to, you know, be a film composer. Making the soundtracks for big films and winning Oscars. The quiet teen has reason to be confident. Her music has been played by orchestras from Greece to Bulgaria, and she's studying composition at a leading conservatory. Pero ella supera todas las expectativas que yo tenía. David Vega was Sol's first music teacher. He says she surpassed all his expectations, but he's known she had musical talent since she picked up a recorder in her elementary school music class at age nine. She was so far ahead of her peers, he started giving her piano lessons on the side. Then Sol became seriously ill and her mother decided to homeschool her. Vega asked to continue teaching her in his time off. Within months, she'd surpassed his skills on the piano and she was hooked. I kind of feel that spark, you know. Sol sometimes worked with teachers, but often learned on her own. In 2020, at 14, she graduated from high school and that fall made her debut as a piano soloist with the Symphonic Orchestra in Puebla, playing Haydn's Concerto for Piano in D major. By then, though, her interest was already shifting from performing to composing, with dreams of working on big Hollywood productions and films by her favorite director, Guillermo del Toro. Music helps bring the film to life. It really makes people connect with the film better. I feel like this way I can um, express myself more. Like, I have the freedom of being able to create the stories or the images and transmit that to other people. She is... A diamond. <laughs> Alfonso Lopez is a cellist with the Sonoran Philharmonic Orchestra in Hermosillo. For me, it's, a, it's an honor to participate with her in, in her projects. He's recorded several of Sol's works and arrangements, like her version of Peponi by the Piano Guys for cello and piano. She write the cello part like she was like a full composer with 15 years of experience or something. He says Sol's work is that of a much more experienced composer, and he believes her success will open doors for other Sonoran musicians, especially since she was accepted last year to a prestigious music school in Paris. Former teacher Vega agrees. Sol está llevándose el nombre de Sonora, el nombre de Hermosillo para Paris. Vega says Sol is taking the name of her state and her city to the world, encountering that carne asada narrative. After more than a year of studying virtually from Hermosillo, Sol is now taking in-person classes in Paris, where she made this recording in the hallway. She arrived at the end of last year, accompanied by her mother and grandmother. They're the ones that are supporting me throughout everything. I mean, they've sold everything they own. The family sold their home and left behind everything and everyone that couldn't fit in a single suitcase apiece. But Sol's mom, Sol Agramont, says she wouldn't have it any other way. For me, that was like a no-brainer. I had to do it. She's always believed her daughter's talents would take her anywhere, she says. And without conservatories of that caliber in Sonora... We had to move anyway, you know. <laughs> it was like uh, to the southern part of the country or, or someplace else. Her family's dedication and her mom inspired Sol's first orchestral piece, Moving On, which became part of the 22-minute suite played by the orchestra in Puebla. For now, Sol is honing her skills and working toward a doctoral degree in orchestration and composition for film. At this point, music isn't just you know, what I like to do. It's 
been a part of who I am. And one day that music might just be playing on the big screen. Kendall Blust, KJ ZZ News, Emocio. I think it was Louis Armstrong who once said, the kingdom of music is always accepting new citizens. One mission of special collections at the University of Arizona Libraries is to collect and preserve the stories of Tucsonans, stories about topics and events both big and small. Pedro Gonzalez grew up in Barrio Viejo until his family was displaced by urban renewal. He remains a Barrio resident today, and he's been a neighborhood organizer most of his adult life. In this edition of Archive Tucson, produced by Angus Anderson, we'll hear Pedro Gonzalez share some favorite random memories of being a teenager in Tucson. I went to Tucson High, I think I was a freshman in 70. It was like something new. You met different people and in different cultures because, like I said, that's all we knew was black and, black and brown. Over there was a little bit of everything. So the whole thing was to cruise around, right, right, on the side of uh, Tucson High, not not the main street, not a uh, Sixth Street or Fifth Street, but where the field, where the football field's at, a little bit to your right, you could drive that one street. You could drive through, but where it was happening was the circle, and everybody called it the circle, and and there were all the raza and the and the the blacks and the raza, all the raza would 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 hang out right there, the the women, the guys, the girls, and and everybody would drive around it real slow. That's where you got to see, uh, you know, all the all the girls, you know, all the, you know, I mean, it, it, that's what it's about, man. You know, it's about the girls, you know, the older guys had cars, you know, and they had them, you know, uh, hot rod style. Very few low riders at the time. Even me, when I had my truck, I had a 52, I would cruise through there too, like 20 times. <laughs> and sometimes they would stop you, you stop and talk, you know. And the thing about it that the cops, Hardly ever went. Like maybe during a school session, you know, cops would go around a little bit, you know, because there was a lot of homes too at the time. On the other side of Tucson High, right in front of the vocational building, there was a lot of homes right there. Older folks, older white folks. But they all had grandkids that went to Tucson High and they all hung out there and they were all hippies. They used to be getting high right there, like nothing in front of the, in front of the school. They, you know, there was, a, there was a lady that had a house on the back side of Tucson High, and the lady would not sell. And so they built, they built that, uh, the whole back part of the school around her house. It was a white lady too. We always used to pass by, we used to always say, we're proud of you that you didn't sell out. Shakey's Pizzas, where all of us used to hang out on Fridays, on Drachman. That was the place to hang out. We'd go eat pizza after a, a Friday. You, you know, everybody used to go to the uh, football game. But we never went to go look at the game. <laughs> I remember my, my mom and my dad would ask us, who won? And, and like, I, I don't know. Because nobody, none of us knew who won. Because we would leave. We, I mean, who cares? And you know who we got along with the best? Was with the hippies. We all got along good. I, I, I can never remember a hippie being racist. Like, wow, man, we used to go, wow, like, that white hippie or that white chick hippie, they don't treat us like we're different. They don't treat us by our color. Uh, it was the jocks that, you know, we, we you know, I mean, they, they think you got ego, we got egos too, you know? And uh, so Saturdays, I had a girlfriend, so 
I was all, we were always together, you know. You know, on Sundays, you know, Saturdays, you know, I worked during the day, all day. We would all hang out, you know, and, and we go to Marana sometimes and, and buy a, a pig and then we slaughter it. And then, you know, we had a big thing of hot water and everything, you know, and then and, and, and it was cheaper to do that than go to the grocery store and buy, you know, the meat. I got to the point where I didn't want to, we didn't want to slaughter no more animals. <laughs> you started feeling bad for them. Also, one of the things we did um, was we used to go to the irrigation canals over there by Cortado Road. They're not there no more. They're pretty wide, you know, the water runs for all the irrigation to irrigate all the, you know, cotton, whatever they were growing. And we used to go there and we used to go swimming there on the, on the water, with all of us. It was, I mean, my truck would be full and then, you know, we, we take, you know, carnitas and all that, you know, we, all the, all the, all the, you know, all our, the teenagers. We used to hang out at a mom too. Back then it was just straight, no speed bombs or nothing. We, we used to go to the middle part that, that we call Lover's Lane. We were always at Lover's Lane. I mean, all of us, we used to be all the group of guys and girls who would go up there and everything was safe, everything was cool. You know, nobody, no, there was never no shooting. Yeah, maybe there was one or two fights, but you know, it was all controlled, you know? Like, okay, yeah, that's enough, you know, that's enough. I remember we used to even go on our bikes up there without no brakes, that was the challenge. You used the, your foot as a brake, you know, the, 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 the sole of your tennis shoe. We were into the outdoors, but we weren't into like the, like buying camping gear and you know, all that. If we went somewhere, we stayed overnight, we'd sleep in our trucks, you know, whatever, in the bed, whatever. None of this tent stuff or, you know, we could have the yuppie stuff, no. The other place where we used to hang out too, Rennington's Pass. The first time that we went, it was all the homies. You know, all the homies from the barrio, you know. And as we're walking, we see two, uh, we were teenagers. These were like maybe, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s, girls coming. And as they were coming closer and closer, we kept looking at them. And I said, hey, are, we, are you guys seeing what I'm seeing? They were naked. They were naked. And they, and they passed by us like nothing. You would never see a Latina walking around naked like that. But they, they said hi, you know, they say hi to us and they pass by. And here come their boyfriends. And they're naked too. And they're walking around like nothing, you know. Hi guys. We're like, wow, man. And we felt like we're out of place because we were we had clothes on. Pretty soon there was a bunch of us that would go up there. And I remember at one time, uh, we weren't sure how good the water was, but we saw we saw these white people drinking the water. And so we we went and went and asked that white guy, he goes, and he he had long beard. Of course, he was naked, you know, and everything. And uh, we went and asked him, is that water good to drink? He said, I live here, you know, as he tells us, just don't urinate in the water because I drink from that water. So we started drinking it too. So we never got bored because there was always some place to go. It, it was a good time, a beautiful time. The storyteller was Pedro Gonzalez. He was recorded and produced by Angus Anderson for Archive Tucson, an oral history project of special collections at the University of Arizona Libraries. You can find more stories from Tucson's past, including the full interview with Pedro Gonzalez, at archivetucson.com. Earlier this month, the opening night of the Tucson Erotica Art Show brought hundreds of visitors over the age of 18 to the Sculpture Resource Center. There, they explored an art show dedicated to sexuality and body positivity across a multitude of expressions.
Andrew Brown spoke with lead organizer Grace and some of the participants for this audio postcard. Please note, this story does acknowledge the existence of sex. My name is Grace. We are at Sculpture Resource Center, the opening night of the Tucson Erotica Art Show. This is just a show that's been going on here since 2013. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. So it's a $10 suggested donation tonight. We also have a code of conduct, if you don't mind reading over this. When I first saw the show, it was actually the very first day I came to Tucson. So I walked in and I was just like amazed at what I saw. Instantly felt connected to it. It was like a healing thing, just seeing different people's perspectives. It was very affirming for me in different ways. Felt very good to be in that environment and feel like sexuality was being normalized. Hi, can I see your ID please? Thank you. You can really expect to see anything and everything. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> we do have a lot of just like body positive art as well, like some things that aren't explicitly erotic at all. It is more than just an art show. I, I really want to give people an experience, something they can reflect on and learn from as well. I think it's important for people to grow in that way. You're just going to be a happier, healthier person and, and sex in general is something that's so taboo that I think a lot of people miss out on developing in that way. I'm Jesse Long. Especially in American culture, we can be very uh, puritanical and closed off, and erotic art kind of frees you. It allows you to look at something, think about how you're feeling about that thing, and then mold yourself into the person you want to be, or like the, the sexual being you want to be. I'm into Cubist art, so uh, there's actually a piece that's like Cubist with uh, gray and plants and women. It's just freaking beautiful. And they're actually, the models in the painting are not the, my normal type of girl that I'm into, but uh, it's doing it for me. <laughs> so who knows, maybe it's the plants, I don't know. <laughs> maybe nature is just a big kink for me and I didn't even know it. My name is Taylor. I'm having some face paint put on by my friend Henry. I'll start from my feet. I'm wearing some white lace-up, knee-high, pleaser, go-go boots, and my body's kind of a mix of mint and light pink paint. I've got some sugar glitter that Henry blew on me. I've got these whipped cream dollops. I don't know what they're made of, but they're um, stuck to my nipples. Pigtails with lime green. Well, I love Henry's art, and my dog's name is Strawberry, so when he told me the costume was Sexy Strawberry, I couldn't say no. My name's Henry Hermity. This is mostly my side job now. I used to do prosthetic makeup for stage and a few films, so this is an opportunity to keep my hand in makeup. Oh yeah, I love it, but uh, it's also crazy. I mean, I'm doing five people today. I think there's just a natural thing that people understand that it's art, it's not salacious or trying to cause problems in any way. It's just fun. I've got my two companions, um, a sexy sock monkey and rainbow right. sprite. So we're just going to be kind of running around as the opening proceeds. We're going to be playing with each other, you know, maybe having some of the ice cream. I saw that there's a, an ice cream table set up. We do have a chocolate-covered banana, but that's exclusively for tonight's events. My name is John Schaffner. 
I'm debuting my, uh, my ice cream company. It's called Sky Island Ice Cream. The concept is that I work with Iskashita and other local nonprofits, and then I donate a percentage of those profits back to them. I just felt like there'd be lots of, lots of hip young people here. In Tucson in general, there's more of a social awareness when it comes to gender issues and sexuality in general. I think we're just a very open place with a lot of uh, creative, artistic, forward-thinking people. And, you know, this is a great sample of that right now. My name is Eric Smith and I'm a local photographer. We're at an amazing event for uh, artists of all different uh, persuasions. Gives uh, them the opportunity to go and express themselves without censorship. Uh, embracing the human form. My parents were born in uh, 1929, 1930. The human body wasn't something that people flaunted. That's just something that's new. I'm the last of the boomer era. And you're starting to look at kids born in the late 70s, from 78 going forward, how uh, they see life is completely different. My name's Trina Noel Davis. This little room actually represents going in world. Um, I'm a photographer, um, a little different in that I photograph everything in a virtual world, in a world called Second Life. My first experience in Second Life, you know, some 10 years ago was actually to just kind of escape. I'd gone through a little bit of a separation and I found that just by walking around a, a sim that had a forest or waterfalls, I could hang out and it was just, it was very calming. It was like a visual way to kind of escape. The avatars in these photos are me. I've just changed my head or my body or my skin, <laughs> you know, to be a man. Or, but, um, you know, you're posing them. Personally for me as an artist, if I'm working through an issue, maybe there's a conflict in your life. Maybe you're feeling like somewhere in life you've been pinned down, you know what I mean? Or someone's trying to control you. So this is kind of a way to visually express a feeling that I might be having at that time when I was filming it. Maybe feeling a little restrained or restricted or, or tied down. Most art galleries and installations, we don't cross that edge. But the erotic show is special. I think that's what makes it so special. It's like, it's just, you know, it's whatever you can imagine. That story was produced by Andrew Brown. The closing ceremony of the Tucson Erotica Art Show is Saturday, April 2nd. You can find some photos on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's news director is Christopher Conover. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Itai Sofer. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore. Thank you to the City of Bisbee for their support of Arizona Spotlight.